2022 was supposed to be the year business-to-business conferences came back with a vengeance. Everyone listening to this podcast that hosts a B2B conference knows that is not what happened. On average, B2B conference attendance was running about 65% of pre-pandemic levels. Yet, I read an article that stated 60% of technology leaders believe that events are the most critical marketing channel for achieving business goals. So what is the current and future state of B2B conferences? Now, I I know this does not seem like a topic in the wheelhouse of Tectonic, but I also know that many of our listeners host or participate in conferences, and TSIA has a killer expert on staff that can share insights on what we are seeing regarding the future of the B2B conference. I'm Thomas Law, the Executive Director of the Technology and Services Industry Association. Welcome to Tectonic, the podcast where we explore what makes technology business models successful in today's world. So let's get the Insight Engine humming here, and I am joined by Paul Kent, who is the Senior Vice President of Events for TSIA. Paul, welcome to Tectonic, and can you overview uh, your experience in the world of B2B conferences and also your role at TSIA. Yeah, absolutely. Happy. Thanks for having me on, Thomas. Uh, I have about a 30-year life cycle in the event business. And my journey to my role here at TSIA is actually kind of interesting. I was a technical person. I, in, I was a contract programmer, and then I would install data networks for people. And this was kind of in the Wild West days as data networks were becoming practical and affordable mm-hmm. for, for enterprises. And my experiences there, it got too expensive for me to run around town or to hop on a plane to help a client. And so I put together a training class and invited my clients to come to that training class so they could do kind of basic things for themselves. Mm-hmm. That got impractical after a while. And so I started going around the country teaching people how to do these things. And at the time, I was working in the Apple world. So you want to talk about a thin slice of a thin slice of the world, the yeah. Apple data networking part in the the early 90s. And after traveling a while and meeting other people who were subject matter experts in different aspects of this, you know, it might be Apple to, you know, back then, DECVAX connectivity or IBM Mm -hmm. 3270 connectivity. I kind of knew everybody who was doing kind of the interesting thought leadership and putting together educational information. So I said, maybe it would be more scalable if everybody comes to me. And so I was in the conference business and I hosted an event called Mactivity for seven years that was all about uh, putting Apple networking technology to work. And again, talk about a thin slice yeah. of a thin slice of the world. If you think about what Apple was like in the early 90s and then Apple's networking yeah. business, right? But I built a business out of it. Very niche. Yeah, I learned a lot. I was really fortunate to get a, some really good mentors to learn how to build that business. Sold it to a big publishing company. And then I went to work running a really large, actually B2C show, more or less, called Macworld Expo. Mm-hmm. which was a 50,000 attendee, you know, 350,000 square foot of exhibit event. Wow. And I ran that for about 20 years. And, uh, and that's most of my journey, how I came to join TSIA. So a, a lot of battle scars taking, we'll say, the conference experience from, from small boutique to very large. Absolutely. Yeah. The entire, the entire spectrum. Well, again, I mean, this is a topic that, you know, might strike listeners as not directly in our wheelhouse. But, but again, I mean, I'm just watching us navigate these conference waters and I know we're not alone, right? There's lots of tech companies that are, are trying to, to figure this out. And, and, and I think there's a lot of questions people now have about um, events. And, and the first one, I think top of mind for people is overall attendee trends. And so you've got your ear to the ground on this. What are you hearing 
from your peers in terms of attendance at B2B conferences? So in terms of attendance, the number you cited is accurate. About 65% recovery from pre-pandemic levels Mm -hmm. is what most tech B2B businesses were seeing. And there was early enthusiasm that that was just a jumping on point, you know, that there's built up demand, but we still weren't quite there in 2022. And actually, 2023 started out enthusiastically. I mean, CES had 115,000 people. What do they usually do? Well, usually they have around 150,000 people, but okay. they had 45,000 people in 2022. So dramatic growth 2022 to 2023. So CES yeah. as a data point was really encouraging. But certainly as we're getting farther into the year, concerns about the economy are overriding many decisions mm-hmm. with regards to both hosting conferences and attending conferences. So yeah. both sides of the equation are struggling to understand exactly where we are today and where we're going to be in two months, three months, six months. Yeah. So there's just a, it's, it, there's a cloud over the, over the industry. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I just took a trip, as you know, I, I went from uh, Columbus, Ohio out to San Diego because we have our fiscal year kickoff, et cetera. And I th- flew a couple weeks ago on that trip out through Chicago. And I have never seen Chicago as a more quieter airport than that trip out. And I think, again, there's, you know, post-holidays, there's not a lot of leisure travel going on. So, you know, in February, you're counting on pretty much is going to be business travelers. And, and I still think that companies are being very cautious there for sure. And so I, I think visibility is low as we go into the second half of this year. So that leads to another question. This is around on-site versus a virtual type conference if people aren't traveling versus, you know, hybrid. What are you seeing there? There's a complex answer to that. So the pendulum of event, in-person events being in favor swings back and forth regularly. I mean, Mm -hmm. in my experience, the in-person event industry has been declared dead several times over the years, but it always comes back. I mean, it came back after, you know, tech industry crashes, financial industry crashes, pandemic, it's coming back. Uh, in the U.S. alone, it's about a $21.7 billion industry, trade shows and conferences. So, mm-hmm. And you, you don't hear about convention centers getting smaller. You only hear about them getting bigger. <laughs> yep. The demand, yeah, yeah, the demand is definitely there. And, and optimism that the track record of the event industry to recover is certainly there. But coming out of the pandemic, the skill set of event managers has certainly evolved. In-person events are one part of the mix, but the balance of virtual versus hybrid. My opinion is that virtual as a standalone activity kind of came and went. It was early predicted that virtual would be the death of in-person events, but Mm -hmm. virtual as a stopgap opportunity to kind of keep your feet moving during the pandemic Mm -hmm. was certainly in favor. But for organizations where events are a for-profit enterprise, it proved difficult. You know, it's really hard to establish value in a virtual event you know, based yeah. on content, there's so much content out there. Yeah. Um, it's hard to, you know, find the right ticket price to justify the cost. And they're not inexpensive to do. Right. The pendulum has really swung now where hybrid is generally considered to be the future. I mean, mm-hmm. you go to all this effort to, you know, put an event on, you have X amount of audience that's willing to travel and participate face-to-face and finds the value and understands the value. But there's greater reverberation, a greater concentric circle of, of opportunity going out into the world and, you know, taking what's happening. It's all about the tactics and the strategy you have. Is your event a moment in time, a product release, mm-hmm. and you need to leverage that as, 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 uh, as widely as possible? Is your event a community play? 
where it's mm-hmm. an opportunity to bring like minds together, share ideas, learn from each other. So the approach that you have largely defines you know, which tools you're going to apply. But I would say that the, the trend and everything that I've read, hybrid is really the wave of the future. If you can go to the effort to host an in-person event, you might as well leverage it and you know intelligently and put it out to the rest of the world. Yeah, it's interesting because I was trying to to understand what the trends were around hybrid, and all the research I found, unfortunately, was sponsored by companies that provide hybrid <laughs> solutions. Right, yeah. so they're obviously very motivated to say the future is hybrid. So your feeling is that hybrid does have sticking sort of stature here that it's not going to yeah, go absolutely. away, like you said, sort of the the quick shot of virtual, we got to do virtual, and then, okay, virtual's maybe not really a long-term play, but you think hybrid's a long-term play? I do. And okay. uh, we use an organization called Skift Meetings, which has some pretty unique data collection. They shared 67% of event planners are planning to offer hybrid solutions, and okay. 65% plan to go hybrid in the next 12 months. And so I think hybrid hybrid is a sweet spot, but the tools are still evolving. Yeah, yeah, anything over 50% in our book, now it's starting to become a common practice in the industry. And so it sounds like hybrid is becoming a common practice. And so let's go back, though, for the on-site piece of it, because we know that on-site is you know, an incredibly rich experience, often the preferred experience for folks if they're networking, if they're, you know, they want to meet their peers, all that kind of fun stuff. But if travel dollars are going to be a premium in 2023, what should conference organizers, again, for our listeners, I don't care if you're doing you know, a product conference, if you're doing your bigger user conference, I mean, whatever your conference is, you're trying to get people there and share in the experience. What should conference organizers be doing to attract attendees? What gets attendees excited in today's environment? It's a great question. And the answer has a few moving parts as well. One is certainly a recognition that the demographics and psychographics of event attendees has changed over the years. Mm -hmm. Whereas events used to be a fairly cookie-cutter approach. You'd have an expo product viewing, you'd have keynote dresses, you'd have breakout sessions, and you would rinse and repeat that play. Now, the emphasis is on experiential design, intelligent content design, and networking. Networking is just Clearly, every survey I read shows that networking is where value is assessed by attendees. Mm-hmm. And so it it creates a great opportunity for event professionals to kind of reimagine what their role is. You know, whereas before, largely you would market based upon the timeliness of your content and the value of your content. Really, the audience that you aggregate now, that's the opportunity that you're creating. I, I, I got a great quote today that it's your attendees event, you're just hosting it. Really, the opportunity to get attendees to interact with each other, build their personal networks, learn from each other, problem solve with each other, that's really the sweet spot of event design now. So doing that with positive experiential applications, everything from what an attendee experiences when they go to register to when they show up and get their badge to what it's like to walk down the hall Mm -hmm. to what their meals are like to what their networking activities are like, that's really the state of the art of event design now, experiential design with an emphasis on networking. Yeah. I mean, as I listen to you and and as I have, because in a sense, I've been in the conference business now for almost 18 years with TSIA, two you know, events a year, I really do feel that the bar is getting higher for event planners and put people in your profession, like you said, to really have this design eye on the event and not just sort of the traditional things of, hey, we got to make sure that, you know, we've got enough food for lunch. We got to make sure we've got a good flow here for attendees from one area to another. I mean, there's always those basic logistical things that you're worried about, but it's now, like you said, designing an experience, right? Start to think about like, I got to think like Disney now, right? In terms of, you know, what I'm doing. And so I'm really curious because I know you and the team have been working very hard on applying that design thinking 
to our upcoming events like the one in Orlando. So how are you thinking about it differently? What do you what different things are you putting on the table there? So our event in Orlando is called TSA World Interact. Interact is actually in the name of the event and as I said, networking and audience interaction is really the sweet spot for event value now. So mm-hmm. we've redesigned the event completely. We have over three times as many networking opportunities as we have. We've donated basically a whole day to intelligently designed networking opportunities. When I say intelligently designed, we facilitate the programs, but then we let the attendees kind of self-assemble. Another trend in in event management is that audiences want to curate their own experiences, right? Mm -hmm. So they don't want to be pushed into this room and then into that room and have to follow a very rigid uh, timetable. We offer them several opportunities and several ways to meet with the right people at the right time, and that creates the value. So at Interact, our event in Orlando, an over 1,000-person event, but curated small group discussions, abilities to meet up specific with people who do the same thing for a living that they do, so you know, by job title. Even down to our social events and wellness events, we have, we have yoga opportunities and we have a morning walk where people mm-hmm. can go and they can choose to or not to uh, continue conversations that they start throughout the event. Birds of a Feather Sessions, which is a, has been a tactic for many years, that's one part of our lunch times now, right? Yeah. So we're trying to intelligently create a lot of containers that people can choose from to curate their own event experience. Yeah, I mean, there's two things that you put on the table there, and you and I have had a lot of conversations about this since you've been on board in terms of what is a successful event experience. And I, again, I would encourage all of our listeners who are designing your own events you know, to think about these two things. And the first one, you talk about curating your experience. Clearly, in this world, we're moving from a place where people want to show up to a conference and go from one stand and deliver to another stand and deliver, to your point, on a very rigid schedule or track. I mean, they really are looking to create, you know, hey, I want to do 20 minutes over here. I want, okay, yeah, I want to sit in that key. And, oh, I want to jump over there. And, you know, I think it's a generational thing as well. I think the younger generation coming up, they do not want to sit there for an hour long, keynote, you know, typically on a topic. So I think you have to be thinking about how to create flexibility in the experience and you have different length format activities going on. Not everything is in the same bucket of of time. So I think that's key. And the other one, this concept of networking, which I mean, that's been around forever, right? Why do I go to an industry conference? You know, I want to network, but it is about, in a sense, curating the networking experience for attendees to provide, I'll call it more structured interactions where it's like, hey, okay, I'm here from this company. I've got this job title. I'm in this particular industry, whatever, right? So here's the things I care about. When I show up at your conference, at your event, make it easy for me to meet and interact with the people that are going to provide value to me or that I want to meet, right? So like you say, whether you're setting up birds of a feather discussions, whether you're setting up certain forums where there's interactive Q&A, but you want, you know, people need basically, you know, grease the tracks, <laughs> make it. So if I'm going to be there for a couple of days, I walk away and I go, wow, I, I definitely have made two, three, four, ten connections with people in the industry and the way the event was designed, it made it easy for that to happen. And I, I think that, again, if you're designing events, you really should be having that thought top of mind if you want people to walk away and say, gosh, it was totally worth my time and treasure to fly there and show up. Absolutely. And one of the biggest event successes of the past 15 years is an event called Web Summit, which started as a about a 400-person meetup of, mm-hmm. of uh, tech companies in Ireland yep. that is now a 70,000-person wow. um, international, really powerhouse of event technology and, and leaders that happens in Lisbon every year. And that organization is particularly interesting because 
From the beginning, when they decided they were going to grow the business, what mm -hmm. they did was they employed a bunch of data scientists. And as people registered for the event, they provided back-end uh, intelligence yeah. yeah, to intelligently you know, say, you know, you 17 people should go to this pub oh, wow. for an evening to meet. And so, yeah, and, and that's cool. really – that's really where event analytics is going. Like I, I said, it. it's, yeah. it's meeting with the right people at the right time. And the, the heavy lifting is now on the event manager to kind of facilitate that. Not everybody has built that type of technology, but that's the goal, getting the right people connected at the right yeah. time. And then you know, you're not wasting the time and trying to figure it out you know, who you're supposed to be talking to. Well, if you think about, I mean, a, I didn't think this was going to happen, but we're going to tie this to the book we just put out, right, on digital hesitation. And in there, we have this phrase, if I now have this data, if I have data X, what can I now do that I could never do before, right? And that's what you just articulated. If I now have data on my attendees, their interest preferences, and I now have tools to analyze that data, I can now make prescriptive recommendations in a way that I never did before. That's huge value add to the attendee. Cause I, again, I, I think that's what people want, right? They want to show up at the pub that has the people that are most likely that they're going to either learn from or want to connect with or whatever. That's what they want. I mean, that is a huge value add. So that's yeah, very, very cool story. Since we have you here, I, I cannot help but talk about the cost side of the equation because you know there's no doubt that the cost to host these conferences is increasing. I mean we know that food and beverage is going up, AV costs are higher, you know, on and on and on. So what are people doing in the industry here to offset these rising costs? How are people approaching this? Yeah, absolutely. I just read a report that said costs are basically 25% higher than they were in 2019. Wow. Pre-pandemic and expected to go up another 7% in 2023. So, so it sounds like, I mean, either at or a little bit higher than inflation is running in the States. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. So, you know, food and beverage, the cost to service an attendee, the cost for an attendee to physically get to your event, yep. you know, they're considerable. They've always been considerable, but yeah. they're rising quite fast right now. And I'm seeing more caution on raising ticket prices right mm -hmm. now because everybody is concerned that they're going to get their attendance, you know, back to where it was. So, some events are raising prices, are boldly going ahead and, and addressing profitability. But I think a lot of events are still managing kind of perceptive success. They want their audiences to know coming out and they want to make it as easy for their audience to attend their events mm -hmm. coming out of the pandemic. And so getting you back to ground zero, I think, is, is job one for many events, yeah. including you know, for profit events, even though costs are rising. Yeah. But we raised our prices. We offer a tremendous amount of value and a very unique product and a very unique offering in difficult economic times. So, you know, the cost recovery, if someone comes to our events, we feel is definitely right there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, it's, and again, I think a good perspective for the audience if you're hosting events is, I mean, this cost side of it is real. So if, you know, by the way, maybe you don't own the events, but you're working with the person who owns events and, and you're wondering why their budget, you know, is bigger or whatever. I mean, those costs are real. There's no doubt that, that, that hotels have, have had, you know, and, and, and in their defense, because their underlying costs have gone up as well, for sure, you know, labor for the cost of their food, all that kind of stuff. So it's real. And I think everybody in the event business is balancing that against to what you just said, the desire to get people back. You know, you don't want to scare people away, you know, and so you're not passing all of that cost along. So I think it, it is a tricky equation right now in the short term. And hopefully inflation is going to slow down here and make it a little bit easier because I think the last two years it's been crazy in terms of what we've seen on the cost side of it, no doubt. Hard to get a recovery underway with these, um, with these obstacles. Yeah, exactly. So I, I have one Final question for you, and that is, as an executive responsible 
for stewarding, you know, what we consider a very important and growing industry conference. What, what keeps you up at night? Well, there are the things that keep you up in a bad way and the things that keep you up in a good way, okay. right? So <laughs> yep. I would say that the opportunity to reimagine how events can serve your attendees is the good mm-hmm. way, right? So many creative ideas. I mean, you, you really are, and in our organization, you know, we're encouraged to go push the envelope and find new ways to delight our members and invite new people into our community. So the opportunities and the creative thinking that goes behind creating experiential design is, is a lot of fun. Yeah. I know my team is very driven by it. And so that's the good way, things that keep you up at night. By the way, is is an observer there? I mean, I, I can see that with you personally and your your team. I mean, I can tell that that's what gets the juices flowing these days is really thinking it's about... It's a very creative time. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's creative to kind of get your business back to where it was before, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, you're, you're sprinting because you know where you were right. and you know where you're going to get to and you want to exceed that. So the experiential design part of it is is really a thrilling thing to be a part mm-hmm. of. But the hard part is certainly the economy. Yeah. I mean, you know, we got a, we had a pretty good start coming out and now we kind of hit this cloud again. We have an event coming up May 8th through 10th we have some headwinds. Our early indications are actually pretty positive though. So like I said before, we have a very unique message about prospering and thriving in difficult economic Mm -hmm. times that is particularly timely. Um, But not everybody has that message in particular. So, you know, we're fortunate to be able to bring to market a value that offers our members and, and prospective members an opportunity to use the information that we have to their benefit and basically get a great return on investment. But I'd, I'd say for most event managers, the uncertainty, our conversations as an executive team were all over the place and trying to read the tea leaves right. as to where we were going at the end of last year into this year. And we understand we're in a difficult time. We see tech companies reacting with Caution. with cuts to their staff and yep. cuts to their budgets. So the economy is is the biggest gray cloud to keep us from getting back to where we were and exceeding where we were. But as I said before, the face-to-face event business always comes back. The need and the value of, of a physical relationship, looking someone in the eye, determining social cues as to what they're really telling you, that extra question that might be added in a breakout session, being able to really dive in with a exhibitor and learn about their products and services is just different face-to-face. And we haven't really found a virtual tool that, that approximates yeah. that yet. Possibly in augmented reality and virtual reality worlds, it's going to get more interesting, but the pure virtual plays have been great platforms for distributing content, but haven't really addressed kind of the human need of why we have conferences. Hey, hey man, may- maybe the metaverse does solve this problem in the long term, okay? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but before I maybe. sit down and put goggles on and have that conference experience, I mean, I, you know, I just want to echo what you're saying. I mean, I think face-to-face always comes back for a reason. And I know when we did our first event post-COVID, I just remember how many people came up to me and they were like, oh, it, it is just so nice to be back. <laughs> so nice to see people I haven't seen for, you know, a year, two years, I guess, you know, so nice to, to be able to have those hallway conversations. So it is real. And I think, again, anybody listening here who manages an event, you know, you're not going to give up on that event, regardless of economic headwinds, uh, because of how important that interaction is in, in terms of b- building deeper relationship. So uh, I'm with you. I mean, face-to-face always comes back and there's really good reasons for that. Well, hey, thank you so much for coming in. Again, I just wanted to give folks a chance to be able to hear from somebody who's in the thick of it and has a lot of great perspective on what's going on there in terms of events. Again, in-person events are an unparalleled opportunity 
for learning and networking. And so I was like that with the question of the day. The question of the day is, what are you doing to make sure your industry event is a growing endeavor? Cheers. Cheers.